0: Good morning everyone, good to see you, good to see you. Yes, my name is Pastor Richard and I'm the uh, minister of this church and and happy to uh, bring you God's Word this morning. And uh, this morning um, we're going through a series working through the Gospel of John, so we call it the biography of Jesus. It's all about Jesus and uh, it's a great place to start when you start reading the Word of God because we're introduced to who Jesus is. And and so we're looking at a series and we're calling it uh, That You May Believe. And the point is, when you meet Jesus, you will receive and believe and have eternal life. And so today, we're going to be talking about the one and uh, the glory of the one and only. And, uh, and so we're going to read those. So look at um, John chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 18. And so let's read these words together. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this huge uh, passage. We thank you for the words contained in here. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to understand them, that these words may come to life in us and that they may transform and change us. Lord, we pray that through hearing these words and considering what they mean, that you will draw us into your presence, that we may experience your power and glory and that we may love you more and be more and more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I I picked just a short passage this morning, (laughs) just a short one. It is huge, you know, it's massive. And uh, so I hope that you're going to be engaged and listen as we go. But the first thing I want to say is in verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. So John said, no one has ever seen God. Is that true? I mean, it's in the Bible and everything, but is it true? No one has ever seen God. Well, how about we go to the beginning? Adam and Eve. I mean, God worked, walked with them in the garden in the call cool of the day. Did they see God? Yeah, don't, just don't get carried away there, Dan. <laughs> so, you know, so they saw, he saw God, they saw God. They walked with God in the morning. They saw God. So John said, no one has ever seen God. It's interesting, isn't it? What about Moses? Moses went to the tent of meeting, you know, meeting God. So he had a tent, he went into the tent of meeting and he met with God and he came out glowing. So didn't Moses see God? It says in the word of God that Moses talked with God like he was a friend. Did Moses see God? Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Anyone else have seen God? Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's something going on, isn't there? So in the Word of God it says, no one has ever seen God. And the world says that too, don't they? People who don't believe in God or don't accept that there is a God, that think that everything's come by random chance. They say nobody's seen God and so, you know, he's not real. Do you remember Yuri Gagorin? He was a Soviet uh, cosmonaut, the first man in space. You know, he, went, he did a whole circuit of the earth in space and he said that when he was up there, he looked everywhere for a whole day and he didn't see God, so there isn't one. <laughs> like, you know, you go to the highest place and if you don't see God, well, he's, you know, he's probably not real. So there are people all around us saying, you know, you, nobody's seen God, so God doesn't exist. And yet, so many people have seen God since the beginning of the world, haven't they? They've seen God... They've seen the glory of God. They've seen the creation of God. They've heard the voice of God. But he says here that nobody has seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God. So Jesus has seen God because Jesus is God. And then it says he is in closest relation. He's in the bosom of the Father. So he's in the, in the closest relationship with God and he has made him known. And this is what we need to see, you see. So nobody has ever seen God until Jesus came and when they saw Jesus, then Jesus revealed God. When people saw Jesus, they saw God. When they heard Jesus speak, they heard God. When they experienced Jesus' healing and his touch and his love, they experienced the touch and love of God. And Paul and John says no one has ever seen God Except through Jesus, because the fact is, in verse fourteen, it says, "The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us." And that is unbelievable. We thought about that a few weeks ago about how the Logos became flesh, and this this is a change in the whole of human thought. Nobody understood this before about how this works. The Word became flesh. You know, so for the Jew, you know, John, he was a Jew and for him writing this this it would have blown his mind because they knew that God speaks they knew God was a creator god and a communicating god who spoke to his people you know they knew he spoke to um um Abraham in dreams he spoke to Adam and Eve like we said before you know he he, sp- he speaks um uh, in the burning bush to Moses he spoke um, through the um, in Mount Sinai. He spoke through the Word of God that was given through Moses. He spoke through angels. You know, he he spoke in so many different ways. He spoke through the prophets. God was speaking to His people all the time, and then they believed that. Yeah, yeah. God is the God who speaks. But then John says, "The Word, the speaking of God, became flesh, became a person. The Word of God alive." in person and so that would have blown john's mind and all hebrews would have gone wow i don't that doesn't sort of register with me i don't understand that and then uh, the greeks of the day we've looked at this before logos means logic or reason and uh, and they believed that um, the whole cosmos um, wasn't random they weren't the atheists of today They believed everything has a an order. There's there's a logos to it. There's an order to it, or a reason to it, or a logic to it. And they thought what they need to do is get in line with the logic or the reason of the earth and then or the world, and then they will be in line uh, with uh, creation, in line with how everything worked. And so they were searching for this this uh, this meaning and purpose in finding the how everything, the reason for everything, and how it all worked. And then John comes along and says, the reason, the logos is God become flesh. And for them it was like everything is in Jesus. He is the reason for everything. The thing that, that he created, everything was made through him and for him and by him and, and, uh, and through him everything is held together. When they discovered Jesus is actually the logos of the universe, getting in line with him makes you in right with God, you see? it's sort of a, That's how it works. And so it's so beautiful. Nobody has ever seen God until they met Jesus. Because Jesus is the Word of God, the Logos, that has become flesh. And that's just incredible. It just blows your mind. That truth that God, the God of the universe, has left left his privilege. He's left the worship of angels. You know, he's, he's left the glory of the presence of God and he became flesh. And that's the Christmas story. That's the message of the gospel, that God came down. And that's incredible. Why would God have to come down? And the purpose of that, of course, we've seen is that that God became flesh in Jesus so that we may be brought into a relationship with God again so that the the separation between us and God may be dealt with. So you know the story of um, Adam and Eve in the garden? You know what happened, of course? God said you can have and eat anything you like in the whole world just don't touch that one particular tree. And what did they do? They said, well, you know, God's um, you know, trying to hold something back from us. We're going to take over and take charge ourselves. And so they ate of the fruit, and then they, the entire, uh, everything was thrown into sin. And what happened? They were thrown out of the garden. See, so they were thrown out of the garden. And it says uh, in Genesis chapter uh, 3, verse 24, it says that they were thrown out of the garden. And what happened? Remember the angels? What were the angels doing? They had swords, right? Swords, great big swords flashing back and forth so that the people could not get to the tree of Life. That's it, the tree of life. So so, so you see how that is? They're kicked out of the garden, so they're in a perfect world where everything's in line and everything's in harmony, everything's going well. They're right with God and then they were thrown out because of their sin and they were separated from the tree of eternal life or the presence of God because of their sin. And then there was this flashing sword. This flashing sword. What's a sword for? Pardon? Keep out. Keep out. It's keeping out, but also for justice, the sword of justice. And so nobody could go to the tree of life because the sword of justice was in the way and nobody, no human person could get past that sword because that was the justice that had to be meted out against and for our sin, wasn't it? And so that's that separation. Separation. And so we've got heaven with glory and perfection and we've got the uh, creation or the earth which is sin and separation from God and the only way that we could breach that gap or get through that sword was that God had to become flesh. And that's what, that's what uh, John writes there to us. The word of God, God himself, became flesh. We have seen his glory. In other words, it's true. God became man in Jesus. Jesus spent three years with us and we can testify that he is God and he is glorious. We have seen the glory of, the, of God the Son, the glory. But, you know, they saw him, in, you know, John was one of the ones, the three that saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus for who he really was. Do you remember that? He went there with Peter and James and John. They went up into the the Mount with Jesus and suddenly Jesus was transfigured. In other words, they saw him. They could actually see God. They saw Jesus for who he is, glorified. And so John says, I see and can testify that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. He dwelt among us. And so the God of the universe... Dwelt among us. It says he tabernacled or tented with us. So he came down. And I couldn't figure that out. He came as a, in a tent? Like he tented, tabernacled? What does that mean, a tent? Well, you know what that means? That means that he came in intimacy to be with his people. You see, when King Charles arrives in Buckingham Palace, uh, he goes, you know, straight, no one sees him or anything. And then the flag goes up. Have you seen that? If you, you go to the Buckingham Palace, you see the flags up, and you say, oh, the king's there he's in there you could never get to see him though because he's the king see jesus who is god the king of kings and the lord of lords came down in a tent in a tent in the presence of his people which is intimacy you know in a tent it's pretty intimate isn't it if if i set up my tent in your backyard you know you'd be pretty close to me wouldn't you you know i'd have to probably use your toilet have to you know steal a few things from the you know lots of things would have to happen there's a closeness isn't it and so this here talks about how um, the word became flesh and and tented among us god jesus tented with us He, he became one with us we have seen his glory says john he's there for us and that transforms all thought when you think about it the god of the universe tenting with you communicating with you means that he came down to become vulnerable. He came down to save us. He came down to demonstrate what it is to be in a perfect relationship with God. He came down so that we can go through the sword of justice and go into the very presence of God. And so that is so meaningful for us, isn't it? You know, we have people, I don't know about you, but we're in a world where there's struggle and strife all the time. You're always struggling with something. There's, there's always something going wrong. And the older you get, the more things go wrong. The longer you live, the more you lose. You know, the the longer you live, the more pain you experience. The longer you live, the more conflict that you experience in your life with family and friends and others. You know, these are the things that happen in the world that we're in. And, and we can think God doesn't hear us. God doesn't care. I mean, I'm praying to God and I don't seem, He doesn't seem to listen and I don't seem to get answers and I don't feel His presence. And yet, the Word of God says that Jesus is tabernacling with us. And He has experienced everything that we have experienced, but uh, infinite time worse. And so when we have a Savior, the God of the universe, so present and real to us, then suddenly we have all that we need to get through life isn't it? And so what is the worst thing or the hardest thing that you're struggling with right now? What brings pain to your heart? Have you, have you got it? What, what is the hardest thing that you're struggling with? What really hurts you? Jesus is there and he has experienced that ten times, a million times worse. See? This is how it works. We need to understand the principle of God becoming flesh and dwelling with us, dwelling with us, intimately into a relationship with us. What he did you see, because you know Christians, you know how they can give advice? Have you ever got good advice or given stupid advice? You know, oh, yes, you've got cancer and you're going to die soon. But, you know, God's got a plan. Just have faith. Smile. It'll be fine. Have you done that? Or has someone done that to you? I remember, I, remember I, I was having trouble. You know, ministries. You know, you can get some conflict anyway. And uh, I had, uh, you know, someone. Someone said to me, um, you know, I said, "Wow, I've had this and that, and then that happened. Oh, oh, it's terrible." And uh, then he said, "Well, I've been through far worse. <laughs> Whew, happened to Jesus, so you know, you can just sort of get through it." I thought that's good advice for a minister. I felt really good after that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, terrible advice. And so, please don't. Uh, Don't take terrible advice and don't give terrible advice. The best advice you can give is that Jesus, who is God, has come to earth to dwell intimately with you. And he can experience and knows what you're going through more than you could possibly know. And he is there for the purpose of bringing you comfort, of showing you what's to come and giving you all that you need. Isn't that, is that the advice that you need today? Because I need that every morning. I need to know that God is there. God is present and God will help. And no matter what I've gone through, he's gone through far worse. You know, Have, have you ever had a prayer that you didn't feel was answered? Well, Jesus had a prayer that wasn't answered. Have you ever felt alone? Well, Jesus was abandoned by God. <laughs> There's so many things that Jesus experienced that because of that, We have a God who is so present and so real to us that we can trust him and receive from him the comfort, the hope and the power to get through anything. And the sooner we believe that, the sooner we understand that, the sooner we experience that, the more blessed we be. God looks at us and sees us struggling in our pain. He knows that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is there for you. He's in a tabernacle in a tent right next to you. He knows that, you know, he's there and you're just going, oh no, I'll figure it out myself, I'm okay, no, I'm okay, no, I don't feel very good. At you know, he's there. Go to him. Receive from him and he will give you comfort like you wouldn't believe. In the middle of the biggest pain of your life, you can say, yes, this is terrible, I hate this, and yet inside I'm okay, you see? I'm suffering grief, I'm suffering struggle, but inside I have this hope. This living hope, because he's alive and he's in me. And that's the word, isn't it? The word became flesh and made his dwelling in me. And that's what John is saying, isn't it? Because John wrote this, you know, after Jesus left. Do you remember? Like he spent Jesus spent three years with him, and then he died on the cross, rose again, appeared to his disciples, spent fifty days with them, and then he went into glory. Right? And so John writes that he is present with us now. And so there's a tabernacle in your heart where Jesus is present. The throne of your life is there for him to dwell in and he will give you whatever you need. And so we have this great comfort, this great hope. And uh, I better move on a bit. So anyway, but it says, um, so we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Wow. John testified concerning this. Um, he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said he comes after me, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, I don't know whether you've worked this out, but that's that's pretty confusing, isn't it? That's, if you were to... Write an essay on what does that mean? John is saying, "I just want to say this guy came after. He was born after I was born, but he was before me, because he's God, you know." And so, John the Baptist was saying, "This is him. He was uh, in the past, in the present, and in the future. He is always there. He is God. I can't even tie untie his sandals, you know. He's so huge." And so, he's talking about a grace that has come. So, out of the fullness of his, um, out of his fullness, we have received grace in the place of grace already given. The law was given through Moses; grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, see if we can understand what that means. So, we have. uh, So, there was already grace given. So, uh, John said, "No one has seen God, and yet they knew God, didn't they? They they knew God." They could see God, not physically, but they could see God in his relationship, love and law. And so right throughout um, the history, you know, the, the God gave um, the, the Ten Commandments and he said, you know, I have loved you since before the beginning of the world. I'm going to deliver you on eagle's wings out of slavery into your own promised land, and I'm going to give you whatever you like. And so when they see themselves in the promised land uh, living in a relationship with God according to the law, they see grace upon grace upon grace. God loving them. The only way that you can get through that sort of justice, he says, is by sacrificing animals, the sacrificial system, demonstrating that there had to be a price paid for their sin for them to enter into the right relationship with God. That was grace, you know, that was grace. So that sword fell upon a goat or a bull or something to pay for the sin. It didn't fall upon the people. See? The people were justified by the sacrifice. That's grace. That's grace. God says, I love you, I want a relationship with you. Just relate to me and you will be blessed. The, the, the whole world will call you blessed because of the relationship that I have with you. You will be blessed and blessed and blessed. And that was grace. And yet the people didn't receive it, did they? They continued to go their own way. They, they made idols and did worship practices of all sorts of weird and horrible things instead of a relationship with God. And so here it says that God was giving grace in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. He was giving grace all the way until Jesus. Jesus came filled with grace and truth. And so he came to finalise the grace seen only briefly in the, or lightly in the, in the Old Testament. See, so he, we could see the grace of God forgiving sin through sacrifice, but then when Jesus came, he was what it was all pointing to, he was the grace giver. He came in grace. He came to pay for our sin so that we may be right with God. You see, it, um, Jesus said that to the Pharisees in uh, John chapter five verse 47. He says, "If you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Moses, who provided the law, was speaking about and wrote about the one who is God the Son. Becoming flesh, paying for all of our sins so that no sacrifice will have to be given because we will be right before God. That's grace on top of grace already given. But then what we need to see is truth. He came in grace and truth. And do you know what truth is? Truth is seeing reality, isn't it? Truth is seeing reality. And so our eyes don't show us the truth. Do You know, our eyes make us more blind than we realize because there is so much that we don't see and yet we only trust what we see with our eyes. Jesus came filled with grace, right relationship with God, and truth, you know, to reveal true truth, to see the reality of all things. And we we can walk around in in the darkness and not see. And yet there is so much reality that we can't see that is there anyway isn't there people say well nobody's ever seen god i can't see him see i'm looking i can't see god i can't see i can't see god anywhere because they're looking with their eyes to see god and yet god is spirit god dwells within us and saves us god lives in a relationship with us and shows us you know the truth of the truth that there is a god there is heaven there is um, a glorious future, there is so much more. We can only see in the physical, and yet there's so much more in the spiritual. When Jesus came, he opened our eyes. Not our physical eyes, we could see him in the flesh, but when we live in a relationship with him and his grace is upon us, we can see into eternity. We can see the throne of God over all things. We can see that what, um, you know, Daniel Andrews or Albanese or, you know, Donald Trump, or, we, we, can, we can see they have power, but we can see past them. Can you do that? We can say, oh, no, you know, this, we're in such a mess. The world is in such a mess. And yet we can see past all the places of power to the place of power. You can't see that with your eyes, but with the eyes of faith, you can see it. Jesus came to live in a relationship with us, to to give us all that we need to get through every part of our lives. He's opened our eyes so that we can actually see the reality of all things that are there. And when we can see that, then we can see glory. Can you see glory? Can you see the glory of the one and only? Because you can. Because he's tabernacling with you. He is the one who became flesh for you, Who the one who now lives in your heart. You can see him. Can you see him? Because that's what we need to understand today. Nobody has ever seen God and yet we can see God all the time because he's with us. He's with us because he came through death to give us life. He came through sin, paid for it all so that we can live in glory. And so now what we need to see with our eyes is God upon the throne of all things, Jesus building his church, and the future that is going to come. We need to see that. Because when we can see that, then we can live well. We can live well. And living well doesn't mean just all, you know, just doing your own thing. Living well means that you are so moved by what Jesus has done for you that you're prepared to do things for others. You know, um, Philippians 2? If you have seen Christ and the fact that he died for you, you have to have the same, what? The same attitude. Who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He made himself nothing, you see. And so you can only see, you you can only prove to yourself that you see if it actually has changed you. So if you, have, if you can see God, if you can see the, the glory of the one and only who came for you and came for people, then what we, we're moved so that we can see need and we can sacrifice ourselves to meet the needs of others. If you want to see a Christian, if you want to see a follower of Jesus, you'll see the one who is helping others, you see? Because we have that same attitude because we have the same heart. When Jesus lives within us, that's all that we have. And so then we live that way. And have you noticed, you know, if you, um, I've noticed with me that uh, when you, you give, we don't give sacrificially. Do you give sacrificially? I mean, good on you. I mean, do it. But I'm thinking, actually, I don't. I don't think I do. I think I give spare things. When we give money, we can, we can give money and it doesn't really hurt. You know, you can have part of my, my um, what do you, what's that word, the, the money that you have, um, the, I forgot the word. Surplus? Surplus? Well, yeah. um, what's that? You know, if you've got all this money and you can just, I don't know. <laughs> I'm getting lost in that. What's that word? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll tell you later when I think of it. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, we, we don't give out of, we give out of what's left. And, and do you know what that means? That costs us. It, it does cost us. Because Jesus left the glory of heaven, came to earth, made himself vulnerable. He made himself a man so that he could be killable, torturable. <laughs> you know, he could be you know, treated so terribly. He, he became a man to do that. We're called to have that same attitude because he's living within us. So then we're supposed to make ourselves vulnerable too. To, to give sacrificially and to help others sacrificially means that we become vulnerable. We mix with people that we wouldn't mix we we give so that we don't uh, we can't experience and have all the things that we want. We we give sacrificially. That's the picture that Jesus gives us. The word became flesh. He dwelt within us. He has transformed us. Now we have all the hope that we need and so then we follow him by demonstrating who is who he is in us. That's a real challenge. A real challenge. And I, and I hope you feel it. I hope you can see God you can see the glory of the one and only, and then you'll move to help those around you. Because God is placing people all around you and he's saying, what will you do for that person? How will you show Jesus to that person? How will you help that person? What will you do to make yourself vulnerable to demonstrate who I am? And that's all of our challenge. So that's your homework. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you for this huge passage that is so deep and and it's just so glorious. We thank you that we can see you, that as we're speaking to you now in prayer, we know that we can see you in faith. As we are speaking to you in prayer right now, we know that you're here tabernacling with us in our hearts, in our situation, in our pain and in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you have come for us to save us, to help us, to heal us, and to enable us to serve. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll do your work in each one of us as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.